You're listening to episode 163 of the Writing in Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. Hello, and I'm Steph McKenna. And it is the 9th of September 2021 here in Norwich as we're recording. How are you doing, Steph? I am very well, thank you. I am broadcasting from the Dragon Hall kitchen at the moment, which is lovely. I can see on our camera feed here that you have the lovely medieval beams just behind you. Do I look like I'm holding them up if I position my hands here? <laughs> no do. one else can tell. This but is classic I... podcast material here, which no one can see. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine me positioning myself to make it look like I'm holding up a very old building. Looking forward to when we start coming back in the office a little bit more. It'll be lovely. We'll be doing lots more podcasting together in person. Yes, exactly. And I think Noirage this weekend is, is one of the first instances we have of doing workshops back in the building, which is very exciting. Yeah, we do. Paul Willits's workshops will be at Dragon Hall. It'll be nice to welcome people back to our lovely workshop space. They can have a look over the garden and feel inspired. It will be absolutely wonderful. Yeah, so this is part of the Noirage Crime Writing Festival weekend, which we do every year. And, and it's back this weekend. In fact, it kicks off tonight with the first event, doesn't it? Yes. So we're recording this podcast on Thursday, the 9th of September, which is the launch launch day for Noirage 2021. We've got our Noirage book club discussion happening this afternoon, as well as the live launch of Postmortem, which is UEA's MA crime fiction anthology. We've got online author events with David Peace, Steph Char and Megan Abbott. And all of those online events with authors are completely free for you to book and enjoy online on YouTube and Zoom. Yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast as it goes up, then you can tune in live to a lot of these videos. But if you're listening to this a few days later or indeed weeks later, don't worry, because all the videos are still available up on our YouTube channel. So the other big thing that's happening this week, Steph, is we have our next Early Career Writers Resource Pack. Yes, and this pack is all about structure. So tell us a little bit, Simon, about what's going on in this pack this time. What can people enjoy for free? Yeah, so this is the the latest of our free packs, which you can all find online if you go to our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk forward slash free hyphen resources. Uh, We can just find that up in the top menu. So this time around, we're talking about structure and we have Rob Shearman, who is a TV radio screenwriter. And he also wrote a book called We All Hear Stories in the Dark, which is right at the top of my reading list. It's a choose your own adventure style book like you used to get in the 80s, except Mm. it's enormous. And the idea of the book is that It's full of short stories, but at the end of each one, you get to choose which story you go to next. So you kind of jump around the book, exploring this in whatever kind of form you want. And every single person that reads this thing will discover the stories in a different order and might even miss some stories. So structurally, it's really fascinating. And Rob's written an article all about structure and why it excites him and uh, why it's so critically important to the telling of any good story. So yeah, really recommend going and giving that a read. And then uh, I've actually written an article about how to use Scrivener to wrangle structures on particularly large projects. So Scrivener is it's kind of like a word processor, but designed for novelists and people writing long form projects. And it has all sorts of tools built into it, which really help when it comes to things like structure. So hopefully lots of good tips in there. And then on the podcast right now, we are very fortunate to have Jitra Ramaswamy talking with Rebecca Watson about Little Scratch. 
So Little Scratch was shortlisted for the Desmond Elliott Prize earlier this year and has a particularly unique structure as it plays out. And Chitra and Rebecca talk about the creation of the book and something they talk about in particular is how the structure of the book directly plays into the story that is playing out and you kind of can't disconnect the two. Um, It's like the perfect form for telling that particular story. Anyway, it's really, really fascinating discussion between the two of them. So after having a listen to this, do head over to the website to find the other free resources. We've also pulled some good stuff out of the archives. So it's all up on the website, free for everyone to discover. And now we'll hand over to Chitra speaking with Rebecca Watson. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, it's wonderful for me to be talking to you because, as you will know, I was one of the judges on the Desmond Elliott Prize and one of the people who wanted desperately to shortlist your book, your debut, Little Scratch, for the prize. I found it to be such a thrilling and moving and funny and swift and sleek ride. Beautifully, beautifully written. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, it's so nice to hear. (laughs) So why don't we start? You could tell us a little bit about how the book came to be, Little Scratch, your debut. And I believe, if I'm correct, that it started as a kind of shorter work, um, a short story even that you entered for the White Review Prize. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of started where I was, it was almost just like a writing exercise that I'd set myself. Um, And so, yeah, someone, you know, walked past and said something to me and it it made me think about something. So basically, like, I was really struck by the idea of how to write, like, immediacy, like, you know, present tense, um, with all its kind of like overwhelming things, the kind of bombarding moments and kind of like honest present tense, basically. Um, And so, Actually, it began by just trying to write a moment of the character being asked a question and not being able to answer the question. And that kind of that kind of buzz of space while, while she tries to get her head around just finding any words or a thought to express. And so I set myself a challenge one, one lunch break when I was at work where I just wrote that wrote that down and the form kind of arrived as I was as I was doing it kind of to to get the sense of the kind of different channels of the present tense that the form broke up on the page and so it began as basically just like a a small passage and then I expanded it into a short story I kind of set myself again like a deadline of being like okay well let's see how it works the short story Um, but when I submitted it it was it was never really it didn't feel like a short story to me. It felt like a unit, like kind of a part of something bigger. Um, and so after that, I just kind of kept pushing it aside and seeing kind of what it might become. How fascinating. I love that um, term, honest present tense. Uh, that's such a perfect distillation of, of what this book is. And there is a kind of uh, real honesty to it. There's a sort of, for those who haven't read it, there's a kind of interiority and exteriority happening in tandem on the page. Sometimes really reading from left to right and sometimes reading from top to bottom so it's quite a kind of visual chaotic very 21st century almost scrolling like experience reading the book but you come away with a very deep sort of understanding which obviously you never do when you're scrolling through twitter it's like the opposite (laughs) of what happens (laughs) with scrolling That's so interesting, this idea of you beginning with a passage, trying to write this honest present tense. And it almost sounds like this form just flowed 
from the key you know from the keys of your of your laptop is that how it happened did it just kind of come out did it spill out yeah it certainly felt like it I mean I I was writing by hand and I I think if I hadn't been writing by hand I I can't imagine that the form would have arrived at all it was because I had the freedom of the blank page and you know because it was a it was such a kind of active question it was like how do I show you know 30 seconds where she's acutely aware of everything around her what's inside her head trying to present herself but also like you know having a lot going on internally like how do you present that so that the reader experiences it at the same time as the protagonist would be experiencing it. Um, and so that kind of challenge, which felt kind of impossible, and so against the way in which like prose kind of neatly delivers a paragraph later, the revelation, that felt like such a kind of test that the, the, I kind of just had to, I had to mess things up. Um, and, I, you know, I've, I've always kind of written formally, strangely, I guess, um, but it did feel like that kind of um, satisfying light bulb click where I could instantly just see this kind of system on the page that I needed to kind of adhere to to be able to show her head. Fascinating. And so um, it's so rare, I think, that you find, this was one of the things that as a judge on the Desmond Elliott why I so fell in love with this book was I think it's a perfect example of you know formal concerns meeting the the subject matter it's a perfect marriage between form and and content or form and subject matter Um, because on the one hand you've got this very broken up disrupted um, very present but simultaneously very embodied and also completely disembodied text describing both the experience of trauma and the experience of survival. And it seems to me that that idea that you you sort of began with, the kernel of somebody or, you know, let's be, let's be specific, a woman being asked a question and that pause, that sort of inability to articulate um, being the kind of springboard for all of this is so perfect because it's like, it's an absolute stream of consciousness that's both about the subject, but it's always taking you away from the subject. Mm-hmm. You know, there's ne- there is never that prose moment of, of revelation. There's no there's no resolving going on here. So again, sort of returning to structure. Did you know that very very early on that it was going to be just a kind of stream of consciousness all all the way through, or were you kind of working towards something? Mm. Um, I knew I knew it was always going to be kind of you know first person and ongoing. So so where I started, it would be the it would be one track essentially. I did know that, and I kind of thought about you know initially you, that you have to kind of resist it, right? Because there's a kind of sense when you write a book, when you when you write anything fiction or nonfiction, that you're you're moving towards some kind of revelation or action, um, and so. I definitely was kind of contending with a level of fear or um, trepidation because I knew that like the expectation would be that there would be something massive. And actually the whole drama of this book happens before the book begins. Yeah. And so initially I, I worried about that, but what I actually wanted to do very strongly was like resist, was resisting the kind of pulls of narrative and really trying to find the drama in something that shouldn't be dramatic. So in those kind of like quiet spaces and the kind of ordinary um, mechanics of a day. Um, And that was the kind of test. And it was really satisfying for me as a writer to like try and yeah, like go against how I might expect to write and instead, you know, just really like nail down 
the kind of mad like drama of just like even just like present tense moment and you know when I started writing this book I didn't I didn't know what had happened to my protagonist I didn't know the story all I knew was like her voice and the ways in which she like kind of moves around in the world um but before I even knew like the storyline I think there was already like a drama in just like hyper sensitive hyper kind of um intense life because like actually you know present tense is a kind of insanely uh, intense way of living we just like don't acknowledge how much different things we're contending with constantly so there's just like a lot of fun in that did you decide quite early on then that you would have another formal constraint which is I love um, and I love all novels that do this is all of the action takes place across one day and so we begin with the moment of your protagonist she's waking up in the morning um, and I only just noticed today going back over the book for maybe the third time that the the novel of course then closes with her falling asleep at the end of this you know completely humdrum Friday in London where she's gone to work um, and she's mildly hungover and she then meets up with her boyfriend after work and then they go home and have sex and fall asleep and that's really all that happens Um, but I love the way I only noticed this morning that um, the novel opens and closes with the idea of red lines Mm. um, which which is just such a you know these are tiny tiny little details and it's when your your prose actually comes very very close to, to poetry it's wonderful. But yeah, so how, how early on did you decide that it was all going to take place across um, across one day? Like not immediately. I knew that it was going to be, I knew it was going to be nonstop, but I didn't know, actually didn't know at what point in the day I was going to start. And I think partly that question was, I didn't know how long it would take to actually write a day. Um, and like, obviously, you know, although I'm technically writing an an ongoing day, like you don't experience every second, like it's obviously there are kind of like fictional borrowings, ways in which you get around the fact that you can't actually write every second of the day because it would be like an infinitely long book. (laughs) It would be Um, Ulysses. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, (laughs) even then it would be, you know, when you think about like, because it's not, you're not just contending with like every single thought slash thing that the person sees, but also the kind of like half thoughts, the things that don't quite become real that still exist within your head. Um, So it's kind of mammoth task. Um, But yeah, and so initially I kind of, because I don't, I don't write chronologically, um, there, there isn't a kind of quick, there isn't a sense of like a plan initially, or I don't always know like where I'm starting. And so I think the first thing that I'd written, like one of the first passages that I wrote was kind of her leaving the house to go to work. So I knew I was starting that early. And then like at some point I was just like, what, why haven't you written before that? Like, what is your reasoning? And you have to kind of, if you're going to not start at the beginning of the day, you need to have some kind of purpose with the fact that you you don't allow the reader that part of the day mm-hmm. and then yeah I, I guess I was start to start to think more about kind of units of time and the kind of the kind of completion of a whole day and um yeah it, it felt like quite a satisfying conceit and I sort, sort of tried writing it and it was just kind of immediately there I was like okay yeah this is where the reader needs to start mm. did you feel like you were working in a tradition when you were doing that sort of formally speaking you know looking back to the likes of Joyce's Ulysses or or Isherwood's a, a single man you know the the sort of the the genre of novels in a day set across a day yeah, I, I actually I actually didn't because it's that thing of like I think when you're writing you don't really think about like where it sits or or whether what you're doing you know is is similar or different to other people um and 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Because it, it, to me, it was just like, you know, I guess everyone has to have that individual click where they're like, yeah, this makes sense. I'll do this. Um, and if I was doing it because, you know, I'd read this other person who'd done it, I might I might feel a bit, feel a bit more like a cheat. But I think I think it was a kind of the, the distraction of the form, as in like the kind of page to page form meant that I, I wasn't really I it was immediately not really comparing it to other things because that that space, that that system on the page felt so much my thing and, and my thing that I had control over um, that it kind of pushed me away from really making any comparison, which is part of why I could write it so freely and so happily um, was because there was no sense of comparison whatsoever. There was no sense of there wasn't really any any possibility of insecurity or, or whatever creeping in because it was just like it was my thing so no one could tell me I'm not doing it right you know <laughs> <laughs> I love that when you do something so kind of singular and like completely unusual that you know it it doesn't even require a lot of confidence because it's just like no one else has done it and it doesn't matter. But that's the thing, yeah, because I, I get told it's confident. It doesn't feel like something that's, I, I guess, you know, there's a kind of assumed boldness in doing something that's not as expected. But because the choice is not to not write in prose, like it's not like I start thinking, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something a bit different. I'm going to make my like my pages look a bit strange. It's just like, it, it's how I want to write. It's how I write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're instantly going into it like at yourself, like just being like, this is what makes sense. Um, so yeah, like I, I find it funny when the, the words that I used are kind of, oh, you know, bold or brave and stuff like that. Because it, it's just, no, it, w- it would feel bolder for me to try and write a linear prose novel. That is very interesting. Bold, confident, brave. Like, yeah, they're oddly, um, they're almost like kind of, I don't know, like ethical judgments or something. Like, mm. you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people get those words ascribed to them for, as you say, writing other kinds of prose you you write how you write I think that and I think that comes across very very clearly actually because this book I think people are often afraid of um, formal experimentation aren't they and and sometimes rightly so because it can be really really hard work and I Mm -hmm. think that what's what's so interesting about Little Scratch is it doesn't even take one page to get into it um, as a reader, you're there so quickly um, because you've so it's so hard to emulate the kind of the inside of one's own head in the modern world. Um, but you've done it so seemingly um, effortlessly. Um, no doubt it wasn't effortless at all, um, but it really does read that way. So it's, again, quite unusual to find a book that's so experimental, that's so uh, such an easy read. <laughs> such an easy and pleasurable read you mentioned earlier in the conversation Rebecca that you started out writing on a page and you know you can't imagine you were writing manually by hand and you know you can't imagine how this form would have kind of shown itself or revealed itself if you'd been on your laptop and of course I hadn't really thought about that but yeah when you've got text running from up top to bottom and left to right and huge breaks and brackets and lowercase like it's a nightmare on a laptop Um, (laughs) so did you write the whole book longhand then and then you know type it up um so it was kind of in stages so basically with the kind of first writing process so like as you know I was putting those words onto the page for the first time it was it was all handwritten or, or at least mostly all handwritten because of the speed like to because when I'm writing, because it breaks into ch- channels and, you know, it's kind of across the page of lots of different sections. Um, I, when I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm still writing down. And so I still know 
what's going on across the page as I'm writing. And so to to get all of those different competing things down before it kind of gets out of my head means I need to just do it really quickly. Um, and so what I would do is I would write kind of a, probably a few thousand words at a time by hand. Um, and then, uh, which would be, you know, like a, in a writing session, it might do that much. And then um, the editing process would be as I like typed it up. Um, and so, yeah, it, I, I have these kind of also very wide notepads. So very kind of, you know, f- just like scrolling across the page and feeling very luxurious. Um, and then, yeah, it would uh, get on my Google Doc and be very kind of carefully getting everything into there. And as I um, kind of transcribed it, that's when it would feel, uh, I guess, ready. Um, you know, I, I, there were editing processes after that. I went through it a lot more times, but um, there was a kind of pinning down when it when it went, on, went onto my laptop. That's when it suddenly felt far more like, yeah, ready, ready to be the book. How interesting. And is that a process that's, you know, just for this book or is that how you write in general? Um, it's it's kind of a mix. I, I've written more on my laptop because uh, I'm working on my second book at the moment. But actually, um, I, I notice that my writing is better when I write by hand. It's just that sometimes it's like more effort. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, yeah, I think there is a kind of ease with using word processing. And so I do end up doing that quite a lot. But um, I actually, I'm working on my third draft now of my second novel. And I've, I'm now consciously doing a lot of um, handwriting, because I, I do just, I see it, I don't know what it is. I think it, maybe it's partly a kind of, there's a slight freedom to it, because I can't, as you're writing, you can't see what you've written. And so you can kind of just trust the rhythms and instincts that you're doing as you're writing without it kind of being slightly stuck three seconds later, like looking back at what you've done or having too much of consciousness. And also there's just like, there's less, uh, there's just less pressure, I guess. I find sometimes writing on my laptop slightly claustrophobic. There's, there's too much of a sense of it as this kind of formal document. How interesting. I almost feel the exact opposite, that it's so easy (laughs) to delete, you know, so easy to remove things uh, when you're working on a laptop and there's something very exposing about writing something down than having to cross it out or, or, you know, Mm. scrunch up the page and throw it away. It's kind of embarrassing in a different way. Well, the, the trick is to have very messy handwriting so that when you read it back, you have to actually like have the effort to read it through. So like no one's going to come across it and be like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Of course, when we talk about it being exposing or embarrassing, we only ever mean for ourselves, not for, yeah. some, not for some other reader who might come along. It's always just a, a self, self-judgment. Let's have a reading, Rebecca. It's a, a, we should have done this probably a little earlier, but anyway, it's a, it would be lovely to hear some of Little Scratch. Okay, so I am going to read from, um, well, it's the kind of late afternoon of the book. Um, well, it's probably about half three. And she's she's just having the kind of moment of the day where you suddenly remember or, or remember to think about like the rest of the day, as in like, you know, what you've done in the morning, the process of waking up, is that kind of strange moment of reflection. I think I've chosen it just because, A, it's quick, but also I think it shows kind of two different tones that the book is trying to like handle together. Remembering the tepid water by my bed, this morning awake to a dry mouth, then hungover, now seemingly fine. Fine as in not hungover anyway. I am not fine in the general sense, I have made that clear, reserved enough space in my head for acknowledging that I'm not fine. But yes, it is the point in the day where this morning no longer feels like this morning. 
And yet it was, obviously. I didn't have time to dawdle, to float. I just drank water and showered and hurried and felt okay because I did not have time to feel any other way. A new tactic, perhaps. Setting my alarm late, overfilling my time. I know that this will not work, but I consider it, if only to fill the space where I could be thinking something else. Yes. From now on, I'll arrive everywhere late and start everything late and oversubscribe until my eyes burst and my head hurts. It already does, but even more, I guess. Body stretched until I do not know who I am or what I want or where I am or how I got here or what happened to me that time. Hands on me, mouth full, saying no, 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 no. Yes, that time then, which I am not thinking about. Instead, I think about art galleries. Decent diversion, though. I decide, without much decisiveness, that I will no longer go to art galleries with other people. It is too much, having to give an allotted time to each painting, staring without seeing. Has this painting been given enough attention? Will my companion suppose I've appreciated it now? It's not that I don't like art, naturally. It's just I can't like it all and I don't have the reputation that allows me to be selective. To walk into a room and examine this one and this one, cursory glance at the rest, shake head and move on. Sometimes I think art is incredible, a popular opinion. But sometimes I think, what do I actually get out of it? How much more am I getting than when I see an attractive person on the tube and take the time to notice each part of their outfit, clocking through, studying the fringing on their trousers and the way they draw a liner across their lids before moving back to staring into nothing? What is the difference, really, truly, honestly? Yes, at the times, this seems to me a ridiculous argument to make, one I do not agree with whatsoever and would not condone, would frown on if someone were to make it. But I cannot stand still. I find myself flitting, doubting I have the capacity to appreciate or understand, wondering if there is even anything there to understand. And when I flit to this, I fear I will not return. And all the while, I must firmly assert that I'm not thinking it, firmly assert my appreciation and, and understanding of art, never allowed to have doubts. And these doubts which I have regardless mean even when I'm not having doubts, I remember that I've had them and fear that I might still be faking it somehow. I have to actively, because we're recording, stop myself from laughing out loud. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if other people have had this reaction to Little little Scratch, but I find it absolutely hilarious a lot of the time. You know, obviously this is a novel about trauma. It's deeply, deeply serious. And yet so much of it, I feel, is about just the absurdity of day-to-day -day life how how true would you say that that response is did you do you think that this is a very funny book did you know did you think you were writing a funny book yeah I, I think humor is the kind of most important thing to me I think um I think there's a kind of discomfort for for people or particularly when, when people are kind of speaking about the book I guess rather than rather than their, their kind of reading experience where um the idea of trauma and humour sitting next to each other is a kind of strange and kind of discomforting thing. And you don't really know how 
it's almost like you suspect that you might be kind of feeling it wrong because how could those kind of two topics sit like that? But I think it's really important. And yeah, I mean, the, the book is, it, to me, is kind of a comic performance, but, um, you know, it's, it's a performance that she's doing to conceal something very dark and something very horrible. Um, and I was really interested in, in the way that those those themes overlap. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, I kind of wanted to write a funny book about trauma. Um, and I think it was partly because, you know, we have very, we have very tired ways of talking about rape and trauma, um, very kind of rehearsed ideas. And so I kind of wanted to just get every other feeling that goes in there as well as the kind of misery. Mm, That's really powerful. And also it really speaks to um, the kind of the, the resilience of, um, people who have experienced trauma just the the sort of daily business of survival of how you know um this book is absolutely full of intrusive thoughts um the intrusive thoughts are almost like that's the formal texture of the book that's the form is like one long intrusive thought um or or many kind of knitted together but at the same time it's so it's so joyous and it's so full of just like you know the joy the simple joy of eating you know a packet of salt and vinegar hula hoops when you're really hung over or like you know kissing your partner after you've both eaten um some really greasy chips or you know really kind of very visceral feelings or and also um the subject matter um is so is so tender you you go there in terms of writing about what it might be what how it might feel for a woman who has been raped to have sex with her boyfriend and how much might be going on there, um, and how it's not one thing, you know, in the same experience, she can be feeling absolute joy and pleasure, and then disgust and, and terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's funny, that's a kind of similar thing to the the discomfort around humour and trauma, is people, I had a lot of reactions of kind of surprise, and also gratitude that, you know, this, this book is also laced with like a, a definite kind of sexual desire such positivity a kind of awareness of her sexual being and 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 willing to kind of assert herself I mean you know there there are kind of a multitude of different assertions that she's attempting but one of them is to kind of reclaim or maintain herself as a kind of sexual person um yeah and so yeah I I guess you know I mean the, the book is what I'm trying with with all of it really is to, is to show the way that these kind of contradictions or seeming contradictions do just exist and overlap um, and find that that is a particularly obvious thing in terms of trauma, but it's also just like the, the way in which we inhabit present tense time is like lots of different things going on that, that don't really fit together in any way and yet do because it's the kind of necessity of just living. You've spoken a little bit, uh, Rebecca, about the sort of the the genesis of Little Scratch and also the the writing of it, the the beginning with um, writing on the page and then transferring it, locking down the the text on your on your laptop. Um, how long did it take you to write a book like this? And 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 as I said earlier, it really does it it reads so like very immediate, energetic stream of consciousness. But how much is that a uh, an illusion? And you know how how long did it take you to write this book? And and how much editing does a book like this require? Um, well, it it was a it was a pretty quick experience. Um, uh, I th- I think the the reason it was because I, I I know this particularly because it hasn't happened 
as well with my second novel, which is that like the because the the formal um, system came to me from the beginning of the process, I had essentially the plan there immediately because the the form is the kind of structure of the book, you know, obviously literally, but also within the kind of you know fiction mechanics. Um, and so I started it basically the beginning of 2018 and finished it um at Christmas um so it was a calendar year um I was working full-time um so I was writing in my lunch breaks every day or take an hour every day I was writing often like in the evenings a few hours um minimum at the weekend um so just kind of cramming bits of pieces anywhere but making sure to write every single day um and I think that's partly why it was so quick is because if you're writing that regularly you're so inside the project that it's just you're gonna be able to get back into it immediately um but she's also like she's such a loud voice and she's such a kind of like assertive there voice that the I felt like at times the process process needed to be quick um it was a kind of way of keeping that energy alive and um yeah like it, it did really feel like I mean obviously this is not how writing works but it did really feel like I was listening to her voice and writing it down like the sense of having her because it's, it's basically just like I was kind of creating her in my head at all times and so I had this other voice playing around even when I wasn't writing so when I was writing it was like right speak up let's get this down that's such a brilliant way of describing it that you were just sort of listening to her almost transcribing her um I love that and it very much does read like that um and now that you're working on your second uh book you know you'll never be in that position again of writing your debut when you know you talked earlier about the kind of the freedom the liberty of doing something so um unique in particular um both to to this project and to kind of experimental writing in in general what's happening now that you're writing your second is it is it brought with it a whole different voice a whole different structure a whole different form what's going on yeah i mean ev- everything's different really I've, you know I, I now work part time so i have two days a week where i write which is great um but you know it's it's a classic like second book second album second anything cliche of just like it's just really hard <laughs> um and yeah you don't you don't have the slightly it's that kind of unwatched free space where you're not you know when I was right when I was writing Little Scratch it wasn't even I didn't feel like I was writing a novel that I was then going to you know get published and blah 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 it was just this kind of thing a freewheeling thing um and now there's these this kind of formality where I sit down to write my book that's contracted to be published at some point um and so some of it is kind of wriggling out of that I think the pandemic is also not particularly conducive to um super exciting uh stimulating writing um so it's it's a bit of a kind of it's a slower process and you know with little scratch i i i wrote one draft and that was it whereas this is like i'm now on my third draft and so yeah it hasn't got the kind of magic immediacy but i am writing yeah a first person character again but it's a kind of i think it's a more ambitious work in some ways it's you know it's across more time um some of the themes i think are, are bigger um and but it's it's trying to be funny again as well um and that's that's the thing that i'm finding hardest is, is getting the humor in um yeah so that's my task in um my draft now is just uh 
lacing some jokes in. <laughs> Putting the jokes in, getting the punchlines in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the third draft. Brilliant. It's been such a pleasure. Um, I've been having to try and rein myself in during this conversation because I really did love this book so much. It's one of the best books, best debuts I've read in recent years. Um, I thought it was a profoundly beautiful and moving and funny work of art. So thank you so much, Rebecca Watson. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been really nice to chat. Thank you for listening. And big thanks to Rebecca and Chitra for that amazing conversation. If you have any questions about structure or anything else that we're up to, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer's Centre. Check out our Facebook page and find out more about everything we do at our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. You can also sign up to our newsletter over there and jump on our Discord community. As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation today over on our website by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and hitting the support us button. Please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any writer friends who you think might be interested, do let them know about us. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.